You are listening to Particular Pilgrims, stories from Reformed Baptist history with commentary. I'm your host, Ron Miller, pastor of Covenant Baptist Church of Clarksville, Tennessee, and a longtime student and collector of Particular Baptist history. We are on the Man of God Network, brought to you by Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. One of the highly regarded Particular Baptist pastors in the 18th century in England and Wales was Benjamin Francis. But there are several challenges to telling his story. The first is that he was preeminently a preacher, yet we have no surviving sermons. Second, he was a native Welsh speaker, and so most of the hymns he wrote are not in English. Third, he pastored a relatively small and always poor country church about which there is not a lot of information. And finally, there is only one main source of information about his life. That is a biographical account written by his son-in-law shortly after Francis's death. But what we do know of God's work through Francis is worth telling, and there are several confirmatory lessons that a study of his life yields. Benjamin Francis was born in 1734 in Wales, where his father, Enoch Francis, was the leading Welsh Baptist pastor of the day. He was said to be, quote, extremely gifted in winning hearers, and seems to have passed along this gift to his son. But Benjamin was to know his father for only six years, as Enoch died in 1740. Yet his father's God became the orphan's God early in life, and so he was baptized at Swansea, aged 15, and began preaching at 19. Then Benjamin attended Bristol Baptist Academy from 1753 to 1756. Like many of the young men who came to study there, his first language was Welsh. His English was apparently so poor that he could not even give a prayer of thanks for a meal in it. So Bernard Foskett, the pastor who headed the school and who we studied earlier, thought it best for Francis to be sent back to Wales. But Hugh Evans, his tutor, successfully argued that Benjamin should stay. Now, he may have been especially attached to this young man, since Hugh was converted under Enoch Francis's preaching. And so Benjamin threw himself into learning English. So diligent was he that he mastered it and could freely preach in both Welsh and English throughout his life. The only printed work I have of his is a lengthy poem in English. It is called Conflagration, a poem on the last day in four parts. It is 37 pages of lengthy rhymed lines that demonstrate his English had become excellent. Upon graduation, Francis preached for a little while to a Baptist cause east of Bristol named Chipping Sodbury. It was during this time that he married his first wife, Mary Harris, on October 19, 1756. The ceremony was done at St. James Parish Church in Bristol by Curate W. Davies. Francis's tutor, Hugh Evans, was in attendance and signed the parish register book. Benjamin, likewise, signed his name in a lovely small script, and Mary also signed, showing she was able to write. He would later remark that his congregation, quote, have not the advantage of literature. 
well, whatever his wife's level of education, what she did have was undoubtedly attractive to Benjamin. The next year, 1757, he moved to what was to become his lifelong pastorate at Horsley. This was a very small farming community 30 miles northeast of Bristol. Even today, there are only 800 people who live in this area. It was near the border with Wales and about 30 miles from Burton-on-the-Water, where Benjamin Bedham was pastor. So Francis was proximate to fellow students and like-minded churches. The congregation was very poor and plain, to use the pastor's own words. They were never able to provide enough for his family's financial needs. So he farmed, kept a school, and tried his hand at trade, unsuccessfully, I might add. But finances were not his only trouble. In 1765, his first wife and three of their children died within a few months of each other. I have been able to locate the nonconformist register that lists their five children's names and dates of birth. They were Enoch, December 12, 1757, Mary, September 4, 1759, Benjamin, March 19, 1761, Elizabeth, December 2, 1762, and Sarah, May 16, 1764. Notice they chose to name their firstborn after Benjamin's father, and then the next two after themselves, a fairly common practice of the day. Of these, Enoch, Benjamin, and Elizabeth died with their mother. We can deduce this because their names are reused for the names of later children in his second marriage. The year after this tragedy, Benjamin married Mary Wallace at Newington Bagpath, another tiny village just south of Horsley. It appears that this second Mary was from the congregation. The church book records that Mary's father gave his consent and they were married July 17, 1766. Mary signed her name, as did Caleb Evans, who witnessed the ceremony. Their marriage produced ten children. Listen to the pathos inherent in this account of their births, the repetition of names, and in many cases, the deaths. Enoch, the son of Benjamin and Mary Francis, the second wife, was born November 17, 1767. Benjamin, born September 21, 1769. Hester, was born March 11, 1771, and lived only 19 weeks. Elizabeth Francis was born December 29, 1773. A son was born, but died 12 days later, September 7, 1775. Catherine was born April 28, 1777. Hester, this of course was the second Hester, was born October 9, 1779, and died August 25, 1790. And this is followed with underlining in a note that reads, A Most Excellent Child. The list continues. Nathaniel Dunscombe was born August 13, 1782. Enoch died October 28, 1782, about 15 years of age. Nathaniel died March 13, 1783, aged seven months. 
Sophia was born February 24, half past one in the morning, 1784. Samuel was born July 2, 1787, Sunday, half past seven o'clock in the afternoon. Here's recorded the heartbreak of the need to remarry on the death of Francis's first wife, the deaths of at least eight of his 15 children, and the inability to pass on the name of his honored father to a son with both of these Enochs dying. But not all was lost in regard to his family. Michael Haken relates the following. Francis drew comfort from the piety that a number of his dying children exhibited. For instance, when one of the children from his second marriage, Hester, and again, remember, this is the second Hester who was characterized as a most excellent child. When she was dying at the age of almost 11 in August 1790, she told her mother, my soul is as full of joy as it can contain. The Lord is become my salvation. The gates of heaven are open to me and I shall soon be there. Her last words to her father, as recorded by him, were, I love you but I love Christ more. All this illustrates the truth that ministers thought of as successful in their day are not exempt from severe economic and family trials. The Lord intends these for many purposes in their ministry. It weans them from the world. It humbles them. It teaches them how to sympathize with others who weep over the same griefs, and it causes them to value Christ and his cause above all else. It also caused Francis to long for heaven, as evidenced by a poem in 16 verses he wrote in response to the deaths of some, quote, lately deceased. Part of it is heard in these lines. Thou veil of affliction, my footsteps have trod with trembling, with grief, and with tears. I joyfully quit for the mountain of God. There, there, its bright summit appears. But oh, what a life, what a rest, what a joy shall I know when I've mounted above. Praise, praise shall my triumphing powers employ. My God, I shall burn with thy love. Come, come, my Redeemer, this moment release the soul that has brought bought with thy blood, and bid me ascend the fair regions of peace to feast on the smiles of my God. All this demonstrates that the gospel that Francis believed and preached holds out solid hope for even the greatest of suffering in this veil of tears. Thank you for listening today. This is Ron the Baptist wishing you grace and peace. Thank you.